The NBA Gambling Podcast and the Sports Gambling Podcast are now presented by Shady Rays. SGPN is teaming up with Shady Rays for Shady Meg. 50% off your Shady Rays using promo code SGPN and then go to sportsgamblepodcast.com slash shady for your chance to win $500. We're also brought to you by Edge Boost. Edge Boost enables you to double your bet with no interest. Go to sportsgamblepodcast.com slash edge to get started today. And welcome, everybody, to the NBA Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Game Podcast Network. It is currently Sunday afternoon, May 21st, and it is time to go through Game 3 of the Eastern Conference Finals between the Celtics and the Heat. I'm your host, Scott Rochelle, once again joined by Delonte Smith. Delonte, how's it going with you? Yeah, pretty good. Uh, ready to get into it. Hopefully we can bounce back from yesterday. Yeah, bounce back's the right word. I got buried. I know you got buried. I think Munaf yep. got buried. It was not a good day for the show. I'm just going to go on record and say that. Right. Not a good day yeah. for the Lakers either, as they officially went down 3 nothing. Not even the extender could save them, because now they're down 3-0. Lost, they uh, lost their first home game of the postseason. The Lakers won in a couple of runs there, mostly in the late third, early fourth quarter. They took a lead for about 20 seconds, and then they got outscored immediately, gave up a double-digit run to nothing, basically, and the game was over at that point. So mm-hmm. I'm going to start off with you. I have a couple of points to make about Ham's rotations, which I'm sure you were potentially going to touch upon, but I'll ask you what your takeaways were for the game yesterday. Yeah, I just give credit to Malone for um, doing what a lot of people have, including, I think you also and, and myself were saying, we just got to get Aaron Gordon off the floor uh, in crunch time and in certain situations when Ham goes to a certain lineup. So he did that. He also went away from KCP who had a high hand early on and, Actually, late in that game, I think he hit a couple of key shots when the Lakers were on that run. Uh, He did, but KCP's main contribution was when Jokic was on the bench. It seemed like KCP kind of took over for a bit. And he he stuck with the the Bruce Brown, uh, Jeff Green lineup. I thought Jeff Green did a good job defensively also. Uh, I mostly want to just give credit to Denver for answering every call. Anything They started from the jump. The Lakers didn't have any effort, any energy, so... I thought that Denver was just a better team from from the jump. I mean, they jumped out on them early. They withstood some punches from the Lakers, but all in all, I thought the Lakers just looked pitiful down the stretch. And I, I won't go into the ham stuff. I'll let you get into that. But yeah, just got a credit to Denver more so than you know deflecting the credit away from them and uh, bashing on the Lakers. But I thought Denver did a great job. Thought Malone was good with his rotations. I thought Porter played probably the best game I've ever seen him play overall. He did what shot. six assists? I think. Yeah, uh, I, th- I thought it was maybe like seven or eight, if I'm not mistaken. I, I think, it was, I think few- it was six. Okay, cool. Maybe it's Michael Porter Jr. we're talking about. Those six right. felt like eight, but it was. Right. I think it was right. six. Right. So uh, I thought he did a great job whenever, um, whenever he was, whenever Joker was on the bench. So him being able to do certain things against that lineup, I thought was key in the series, and I thought he was to be a little bit more effective. But still, all in all, he played a, a great game, and. Uh, I mean, I just hats off to Denver and Malone for for what they did in that game specifically. Yeah, uh, it seems to me that the main story outline kind of shifted over the course of the game with regard to Denver, but it mostly started started with Jamal Murray, who had 30 points in the first half. Then I thought Schroeder did a great job defensively. I know Murray didn't score in the entire third quarter. Uh, He had a couple of shots late, but he finished with 37. But Murray took over the game. Early on, the Lakers' coverage defensively was really just terrible on them the entire first half. Whether it was D'Angelo Russell or it was Vanderbilt, whoever they tried, it just didn't work. And they lost track of them constantly with off-ball action, and Murray had a lot of wide-open shots. Now, Murray also did make a bunch of difficult shots off the dribble, so I will give him credit there. But it did seem like the Lakers kept losing track of him when he had 20 points in the first quarter and a half. 
you figure you try to guard him, but I guess the Lakers thought it was optional. And then it kind of pivoted for Denver because Jokic was really not great in the first half. He was okay, didn't score that much, but it seemed like he was really deferring to Murray. And then Murray slowed down. The Lakers went on a run, and Jokic said, give me the damn ball, we're going to win this thing. And (laughs) Jokic kind of carried them down the stretch. That's always my takeaway for it. So Jokic had a pretty good stat line, didn't have a double-double, but his stat line was actually solid when you take into account how underwhelming the stat line was for the first quarter and a half or so. Mm -hmm. And he was also in foul trouble, which took away some playing time in the third quarter. But yeah, Jokic took over the game late, made all the right reads, and it seemed like the Lakers, after spending so much energy to actually take the one-point lead, they benched LeBron for about 40 seconds, immediately gave up a 6 nothing run on a couple turnovers. They brought LeBron back in, and then it didn't really change anything. But I understand the argument of benching LeBron for a breather every now and then because, you know, he's still a lot older and you want to try to keep him fresh. But at that point, can, can you really bench LeBron when you're down 2 nothing? I know you're trying yeah, no, to steal some minutes, but that's right. a little bit... I don't know if I agree with that one. Yeah, I don't either. Um, I thought whenever he went out, I was texting one of my friends, and I was telling him, like, look, he LeBron, he's old, whatever. He, he got to go for the, rest of the, for the rest of the game. This was, like, the start of the fourth. Because he went out with, what, like, 10 minutes to go in the, in the fourth? Or maybe, like, nine? I think it was, like, nine or eight. And they yeah. were trying to steal a couple minutes, but nah. the Lakers had all the momentum. And right. then once he got taken out of the floor, as we've seen for the last, really... I don't know, decade with LeBron right. when he's off the floor, his teams get killed. Right. It just yes. felt like the wrong time to do it. I know LeBron yeah. is older and he does not have the same stamina that he used to, but in that situation, in a don't must care. win game, don't I think LeBron is going to play, got to play every second of the fourth. Yeah. Quarter. Sorry. He got, I don't care about his foot, whatever. He, he got to play. If you, it's a must win game. Like you said, they took the momentum back with, um, I want to say that Reeves hit two free throws and then they turned it over twice. Or uh, I think it was H- Hachimura hit the free throws. There we go. And from what I remember, it was three pointer turnover, three pointer turnover, yeah. and LeBron came back in the game. Right, right. I thought so. Yeah, man. I I think that he he's got a that's maybe that's Ham's fault. But then again, I've seen time after time with LeBron check himself into the game. So I'm not sure who to put that on. But you got to get him a a rest a little bit towards the end of the third quarter, I would think you would go with maybe like a minute left in the third. That way you still have, you know, the top, the TV timeout, end of quarter timeout, whatever it is. And he's able to rest for, you know, additional three or four minutes, but taking him out in the midst of how well you were playing to start that fourth quarter. Yeah. I, th- I thought that was a bad call. also. yeah, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to save the ham discussion for a second because I do want to just read off some of the stat lines for some of the players, which I didn't do before. I mentioned before Jamal Murray at 37, he had 30 in the first half. Uh, Joker ended up with 24, 6, and 8. Once again, not a great stat line for him, but when you remember how underwhelming his stat line was early on, you realize how dominant he was in the second half, especially the fourth quarter. KCP had 17 points. Michael Porter Jr. had 14 and 10, so another double-double for Porter. Bruce Brown had 15 off the bench. As for the Lakers, LeBron was okay. He had 23, 7, and 12 on 8 of 19 shooting. Congrats to him, though. He made three three three-pointers. I'm proud of him. Besides that, (laughs) Anthony Davis had 28 points and 18 rebounds. I thought AD looked good. He wasn't exactly great at finishing around the rim in the second half, but he was still solid, 28 and 18. He was the only guy who showed up with any energy in the entire first quarter, so he was trying his hardest out there. It just didn't really matter in the end. Reeves only had 10 shots. Scored 23 points. I don't know how Reeves only attempted 10 shots. No idea. Uh, Hachimura had 13 uh, and 6. 
And then you have the real story of the game, or the story that I've been trying to discuss for the last couple of games. D'Angelo Russell, who has been easily the least effective player for the Lakers in the entire series because his plus-minus is now past the negative 50 mark. He played 20 minutes yesterday. It felt like he played 35 because I thought that that might have been 15 minutes too many. But Russell started the first game, uh, the first quarter. Lakers got killed. Got benched in the second quarter. Lakers outscored Denver by nine. And then Russell started the third quarter again. And then he kind of hung around, though, in that third quarter. And then he started again in the fourth quarter. And I'm just, I'm just wondering what is exactly happening here. And Russell was once again a minus 12. He was the second worst plus minus on the team, tied with Davis, actually, for second worst. But Russell was one for eight. One for six from three. He had a brutal turnover uh, cross court to KCP, which got intercepted, which was really just a terrible read. It had Zach Wilson vibes on that pass. (laughs) But yeah, Russell, once again, was really ineffective, and it seemed like Ham keeps trying to stick with him. You have any comments there? Because I've been talking about it for the whole series. I had the PRA under, and it got there easily at 17 and a half. Can he play at all in the series? Yeah, I'm not sure if he can, uh, but... Then again, I mean, Dennis, he did okay, but I mean, he still was getting like killed on the pick and roll with the switches with Murray. But then again, I don't know if that's totally his fault. I mean, he was getting killed by Murray. Uh, D'Lo was getting killed by Murray. They well, well, to be fair to Schroeder, Mur- he was a lot better in the second half. Yeah, yeah, he was. yeah he the was. foul trouble was there for Schroeder, but he was yeah. constantly full court pressing uh, mm-hmm. Murray. But that's kind of my point. Even if Schroeder isn't the most effective, at least he's making life somewhat difficult for Murray at times. Yeah, that's fair. Like if, if, if Russell's going to go one for eight and he doesn't guard anybody and he's mostly going to be a standstill three-point shooter because the ball's going to be in LeBron's hands most of the time, then what's the point? Yeah, I thought he should have just put Beasley in. I mean, Beasley's not the best defender either, but, I mean, maybe he can make a shot or two. I mean, Russell was just a net negative not even being able to make a shot. And um, I was listening to uh, the Ringer guys. I can't remember. Maybe it was Justin Verrier. I'm not sure. But I think he was at the game, and he was saying that, uh, I guess, certain people in within the Lakers organization was talking about they didn't want to pull D'Angelo Russell in case they, you know, won the game and they needed him, I guess, for a confidence They were, they were afraid he was going to mentally check out of the series yeah, if he was basically. not the starting line. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm not sure if you should even care about that uh, in a must-win situation. But, yeah, man, that's that's bad. He's been bad. There's no way around it. I mean, I haven't been the biggest D'Angelo Russell fan, but I haven't been the biggest critic. But definitely uh, not looking good for him uh, in this offseason. Or well, this postseason, point, I'm sorry. Yeah, two points there. First of all, with D'Angelo Russell, I have been critical of him in the past. As a Nets fan, I watched him play with my team. They were a fun team that year. Uh, Russell, I thought, was very solid. He kind of rejuvenated his career, except for the fact that he still doesn't guard anybody, and he's still a high-volume, low-efficiency, I'd say, offensive player in general. His occasional microwave games, which we've seen before, but for the most part, when you're a streaky shooter and you also don't guard anybody, when your shot's not falling, you're really going to be a liability more often than not which is why Russell's plus-minus or efficiency rating every year, his net rating, has been a negative basically his entire career. So it's not exactly surprising. But I know that I got into a little bit of beef with Timberwolves Twitter earlier this year because I criticized D'Angelo Russell for basically being uh, an empty calorie score 
Yeah, and much. Minnesota Timberwolves fans kind of came at me saying, how can you say that? He's been really good for a month. And a week later, he got traded for post-prime Mike Conley. That was for my victory month. lap for the situation. For a month. So, month. yeah, a week a week after that whole, that whole thing started, he got traded for Mike Conley. So I think I won that debate. But the last point I'm going to make, which is what you touched upon, uh, Ham worried about the ego and the overall... I'd say psyche of D'Angelo Russell by not pulling him from the starting lineup because he's afraid he's going to mentally check out of the series. On the bright side, you're one game away from nobody starting. So, you know, you can really balance it out that way. But I'm going to ask you this, just simply put, I'm not picking the Lakers to come back from 3 nothing. It's never happened before. I'm not going to make a case for it. What I will ask you is, do you think the Lakers actually show up for game four? Yeah, I think they do. I think they show up for game four, and then they get blasted in game five. Okay. Yeah, that's that's just as simple as as simple as I can put it. I mean, I don't see. But then again, I don't know if you watched the pressers last night. Uh, very interesting uh, wardrobe for AD and LeBron. I guess they thought they were going to win, so they wanted to match, uh, like same shirt vibe. That's why I got to bring separate several cha- pairs of right. clothing just in case, you know. Right. So yeah, I mean, uh, LeBron was asked about like his confidence level, and he was like, "Well, I believe. I'm not sure about the other guys, but I believe there was some shade thrown." Yeah. So I'm not sure. You know, I've never heard him speak into that. You know, like other than whenever he left to go back to Cleveland, and when he left Cleveland to go to Miami, so some of that good, could be reverse psychology and yeah, maybe, maybe some cryptic stuff there. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I know what LeBron's supposed to say. They're down three nothing. He's never been down three nothing outside of the finals before, so it is what it is. But yeah, LeBron, he was okay last night. I thought he was solid in the second quarter and third quarter. And it yeah, seemed like he first. ran out of gas in the fourth. Yeah, yeah, he yeah, first. He didn't do anything in the first. Like he was. Well, the, yeah, I was going to say the stat lines are still good for LeBron. Of course, you know, he's up there in years. I think it's pretty safe to say he can no longer take over a game by himself anymore. Nope. So, either side. Either yeah, side with him not being able to do that, the team's kind of screwed. But anyway, yeah. we'll see what happens in game four. Now it's time to actually transition over into game three, where I don't know if hopefully or not, we're trying not to see two separate 3 nothing series and the only two series left in the playoffs, so we'll see what happens. Uh, before I actually get into the Heat and Celtics Game 3 preview, do you want to talk about our sponsor? We are sponsored by Edge Boost. SGPN is excited to announce an exclusive early access partnership with Edge Boost, the world's first bet now, pay later Visa card. Similar to buy now, pay later programs like Affirm and Afterpay, Edge Boost enables you to double your bet with no interest and pay back the advance over four equal weekly installments. That's right, 0% interest. Simply deposit funds into your account and Edge Boost will match the deposit so you can use two times the funds on any legal sports betting site. Edge uh, Edge currently offers up to $2,500 in advances as you build a repayment history. My Edge Boost double down play of the day is, I don't know, Schwartzman Moneyline against Nakashima? I don't know. First play on my mind. Uh, Go to sportsgampodcast.com slash edge to sign up today. That's sportsgampodcast.com slash edge. Must be 21 or older to use. Only valid in legal gambling states. Problem gambling? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome back, everyone, to the NBA Gambling Podcast. Just finished recapping Game 3 of the Western Conference Finals right before the Lakers' funeral. Now it's time to get into the actual Eastern Conference Game 3. Starting off with the actual odds for this game, the Celtics are favored on the road, currently around 3.5 or 4, and the over-under is 214. 
I said when we previewed the overall series, the reason why the Celtics were this big of a favorite is because, according to power rankings, the Celtics will be favored in basically every game, and nothing's changed. I think even if Boston's down 3 nothing, they will still be favored in Game 4, which is why Miami was such a big underdog. I didn't say that I agreed with the odds, but that was kind of the argument. Boston, based on power rankings, we saw it in the Philly series. They were favored in an elimination Game 6. The metrics or whatever you want to talk about love Boston – but they don't account for bad coaching and not exactly idealized, uh, I'd say, execution down the stretch. I'm going to ask you, Delonte, we know Boston has been underwhelming at home, and they've been good on the road this postseason. Having said that, Boston's been up double digits in each of the first two games, yep. and they thrive in punting double-digit leads. Right. What are your thoughts on this game? Because Miami's been undefeated at home so far in the playoffs. We know Boston's had Miami on the ropes for the first two games, but they can never close it out. Do you think today's a different story? Yeah, I think today I think it's a, a different story. Um, I'm not sure if the pressure has gotten to them as far as the home thing. I think they were ten and I think they're ten and eleven in their last twenty one home games, if I'm not mistaken. And that's straight up, not against the spread. But they do play better on the road. Uh they're four and two straight up and ATS on the road. Uh three and four and five straight up and ATS at home. So there is a little bit of, you know, dichotomy with the splits there. Um now the I guess statistics would show that or history would show that you know teams up 2-0 who lose at home well who win it who win on the road are just like incredible um so the heat are 17 and 0 all time when up 2-0 in the series boston's one and nine when trailing 0-2 um teams are four and 21 all time when losing the first two games at home so history not on boston's side but i think a lot of that heat stuff has to do with you know the lebron years when they were just throttling everybody yeah uh, so not not sure how much you want to look into that. Uh, it's obviously two different teams. But, I mean, they've got to do two things better. They've got to keep them off the offensive glass. Boston, that is. They've got to keep Miami off the offensive glass. Uh, Miami's rebounding about 32% of their misses in the series so far. So, Boston's got to be a little bit more physical. Uh, keep Bam off the offensive glass. And even some of those little guys, like uh, I think Caleb Martin's rebounding pretty well. Struce um, has had some moments as well. Yeah, Struce. So, I think all those guys, like, gang rebound. Outside of Bam, it's no really – dominant rebounder i mean butler has the spots where he you know he can get seven or eight but as a team i think they're just out willing um boston and that can't happen in the eastern conference finals so i think they have to do a better job on the offensive glass uh, or keeping them off the offensive glass and they got to continue to get to the rim so they're converting at a high clip in both games 80 plus percent um in each game as far as uh rim percentage and uh i think they got to continue to attack they get bored with it and they want to shoot a lot of threes but i think they got to have a healthy dose of both um, and another thing I want to add is about Boston's, you know, ball protection. They're averaging about 15 turnovers per game, and Miami's averaging 21 uh, points off turnovers in the series. So, I mean, if you notice, like during the Knicks series, they were killing. Uh, uh, Miami was killing the Knicks off points off turnovers. So, I think that's, I think that's a steady dose of what you expect. Um, from the Miami Heat defense, so Boston can take care of the ball. And we've seen in stretches when they don't turn the ball over. Like you said, they have the ability to build those double-digit leads. Now, as far as sustaining them, you know, that's I think that has a lot to do with execution, like you said, and more so execution than coaching. I mean, I guess they might go hand-in-hand, hand, but I would go probably like, you know, 55-45 as far as the blame. But, uh, yeah, I think Boston gets it done here. Um, I know it's got up a little bit from – I think it opened at 2.5 in some spots – yeah, so Monty's not, pointing on Boston because it's an yeah, elimination game and right. blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so um, 
I probably just laid a money line rather than a four. Uh, I know this, if it's too much juice, I would just probably maybe. I'd rather in play it. You're assuming Boston's going to be up double digits at some point in this game. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, so I'll, I'll just uh, I'll play Boston uh, minus the four, um, but I'll probably be on the money line for uh, you know a bigger bit, I guess. I, I'm really torn on this one because I don't think Boston's going to get swept. But then again, I also didn't think they'd be down two nothing. So I don't know if that really matters. What I think at this point, I initially had Boston in seven. When the series started, I thought that Miami would have moments in the series, and I thought eventually talent would uh, reign supreme. And once again, Boston's had good moments at home in the first two games. They just can't close a game out to save mm-hmm. their lives. So that's really just the problem that I have. So maybe I'd consider Boston first half, potentially, because yeah. I don't have to worry about them choking yeah. late in the game. Uh, but then again, Miami was a leading at halftime in game two. I feel like for this game, I'm mostly interested in player props because you're yeah. kind of hoping Tatum brings it. I don't know if Jalen Brown's going to bring it, so that's a whole separate story. I know that we talked about it on the last show that he might have mentally checked out already. But Horford's still been terrible offensively. Uh, Robert Williams has been good. I don't think Williams has missed a shot in this entire series. Is he like 11 yeah. for 11? Yeah, I think so, bro. I, I think he's just like making everything. Having said that, though, he did play 23 minutes and he only had three rebounds. That kind of needs to step up. But when they're switching pick and roll and he's guarding Butler some of the time, yeah. it's not going to help. I thought Grant Williams was good, memes aside. I, before he decided to get Jimmy Butler going, I thought he was having a pretty decent fourth quarter. And that's a concern because why is Grant Williams your microwave in the fourth quarter? Like somebody's going to need to kind of right. step up. But right. I mentioned it when we broke down game two. You had Lowry. Kevin Love and Cody Zeller play a combined 42 minutes. They scored a total of two points, and Miami still won the game. And those two points were from one person. It was. It was from Cody Zeller, of all people. <laughs> right, but right. the point is, Lowry was a minus 21. You couldn't use him in the game, and I thought that Spolster did a, made a good decision. There was a stretch there for like a one-minute period where Lowry missed like three shots, and he had a foul, and Spolster's like, get off the court. Right. Just pulled them immediately. And yet you saw the Celtics kind of stick with Grant Williams a bit too long, in my opinion, because Butler was torching him on the other end. But it's really difficult to fully break down a game in game out basis because Boston's the better team on paper. But when you constantly lose because you're out coached, you're not actually the better team. It's really as simple as that. I I feel like he's got the best player, too. Yeah. But you're looking at it going, well, you know, Tatum hasn't made a shot yet in the fourth quarter. And yes, he was still very solid in game two for the first three quarters. Brown was brutal the entire game, basically. But it does not seem like Missoula's even really tinkered with the main rotation because he's sticking with Horford, playing a bunch of minutes every game. And I know Horford is one of your defensive anchors, and you want to make the case that he still has a lot of value on that end. Don't care. But at some point, you're going to have to realize Horford's giving you nothing in terms nothing. of force base. Yeah. That's, I thought that was the biggest thing that he has to adjust. He got to take. He has to take Horford off the floor. So he did do an, a, a good adjustment by taking Robert Williams and Al Horford off the floor at the same time because you can't have two non-scorers yeah. on the floor. And they were just putting him in pick. They were putting Al Horford in pick and rolls and just killing him, taking Rob away from the brim because Rob can't roam in the paint. You know he's better defensively when he can roam in the paint. But Bam's been hitting that you know fourteen to sixteen foot jump shot, so he has to be respected from there. And then if they're playing small, like you said, they took Lowry off the floor. So they're playing with Caleb Martin, Struess, and Vincent on the floor. Those are three shooters. And for whatever reason, Caleb Martin is always open. I have no idea what, what the deal is with that, but he's always open. And they just don't respect his jumper, and he keeps knocking him down. So I think ever since Caleb Martin hit that shot against Giannis in game three in the corner, 
his confidence has just never right. been higher in his entire right. career. Yeah. But yeah, Martin's been great. That's the thing, though. Even Duncan Robinson was great in game two. And I like his under six and a half in game one, and it cleared easily. He scored zero yeah. points in seven minutes. Right. So, you know, Robinson gave them good minutes, but that's kind of what Spolstra is so good at. He has a great gauge on his overall roster, and he can plug and play guys depending on feel, and he has a good feeling or hunch on which players are going to show up on which given day. And even Vincent. Vincent was brutal for three quarters in game two, and he kept him in for the last couple minutes in the fourth quarter, and Vincent hit that big mid-range jumper to put them up uh, two possessions in the final minute. So, yeah, Spolster just knows his roster very, very well, and it seems like Missoula doesn't. Yeah, I mean, that's true. And then, like, uh, Missoula deserves a blame. I think some of those guys got to execute a lot better, I mean, especially down the stretch. I mean, and people think that it's all Missoula's fault, but I'm not sure if anybody watched Boston last year, but even with Ime, they were the same way. They couldn't. They were the same way, but it, it does feel like whether it involves post-game press conferences or just in-game adjustments. Oh, yeah, whatever. yeah, I'm with that. Yeah, yeah, I'm with that. Yeah. The overall vibe around Missoula, I hate that buzzword because that basically means nothing, but the overall just feeling surrounding Missoula is that he's in over his head. Yeah, I feel I like mean, that's the main takeaway most people have had. Yeah, and especially hardcore like Boston fans, they they just I guess they feel like that he's not respected or or whatever. But he's got he does have to do a better job, especially like we talked about the Horford thing. I think he has to get him off the floor. And Grant Williams, I mean, he did have a stretch where he was actually playing good defense on Butler, but it's just nothing that you can do on Butler. Yeah. I mean, they tried Smart, nothing. They tried Brown, nothing. I mean, Tatum, nothing. So. Not technically all Grant Williams' fault. He was actually playing hard, getting rebounds. He had a a stretch, like you said, where he scored what a three and then two dunks or a dunk and a and yeah. And he, once again, Williams. he was trash talking Butler, and that was his Dylan Brooks moment. So we'll see hmm. if Boston gets rid of him. But the point <laughs> is, I do have to point out that even before that little skirmish happened, at least he was playing with more passion than the rest of exactly. the team. He's that counts for Payne something. Pritchard. Better than Peyton Pritchard. Yeah, but. Grant Williams, whatever. You know, he is what it is. He should never trash talk again after he bricked those two free throws against Cleveland earlier this year. Uh, and then he had the situation in game two. But he showed up with energy. I can't say the same about half the team. But yeah. once again, Boston has been in a good spot to be up 2 nothing. They just suck in the fourth quarter. It's really just the end of the, the story. But yeah. anyway, uh, you have any other thoughts on the actual... So anyway, uh, you mentioned who you have for the actual side. I think I'm going to lean to Miami. I know Boston is the, I'd say, common choice because, oh, they're the two seed. They're not going to go down, you know, three nothing. I'm not going to play that angle. At the end of the day, I don't trust this team. I I just don't trust Boston. And Miami, if you want to give me four points, if Boston wins this game by three, I'm still happy. I don't think Miami's going to get run out at home. You can argue Boston brings it defensively, maybe of a lower scoring game, which is why this total is a bit low. But... I do think at the end of the day, if you're going to give me the team that's much better in crunch time and it's not even close and the team that you're going to be potentially laying four with cannot hold the leads when up double digits, I'm not going to lay four with you on the road. I'm just not going to do it. So I might be wrong. I might take the bait. I'm going to lean to I'm going to lean to Miami. I feel like I have to. You're, you're giving me an undefeated team at home in the actual bracket, not including the uh, playing game against Atlanta. An undefeated team at home in the bracket getting four points against a team that can't close. I feel yeah, like I, I mean, have to take it on principle. Yeah, I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you. I think Boston wins, but like you said, it might be uh, you know, two or three point win. So uh, that's why I'm betting the money line personally because I don't trust Boston with a lead. Um 
I feel so, better about I mean, the first half. I said it before. Yeah, I feel better about them early on, like first quarter, first half also, um, thinking that they come up with a lot more energy. And, I mean, the Heat at home have been incredible. Mm-hmm. But if you look at some of the guys who have played well on the road, like Vincent, he, he hasn't played well at home at all. I think he, no. he's only had like over five points once. In I think he might be games. in line for a decent game, though, because yeah. we've seen sometimes, maybe it was like Tatum in game six, you just need to see one go in in a big yeah. moment. And Vincent yeah, hit that, that big shot, though, to put them up two possessions late. Mm-hmm. So maybe that carries over. I'm not expecting Lowry to have another great game in game three. Yeah, so Love I think has Mizzou, been a non-factor entirely. Yeah, he, he has. So. Uh, I think Missoula, uh, he has to pull out everything he has in this game. Uh, I'm not sure what that you know consists of, but he has to do something to be able to get these guys in a position where they can actually close the game. I mean, throughout the game, they're fun. Like in yeah. certain stretches, they look like the team that the power rating said it says they are. I wouldn't say the entire game because they blew a double-digit lead earlier in the game, but for the yeah. most part, there's at least the yeah. fluidity to what they're yeah. doing. Right, and I think. What's not being talked about is their defense. I mean, they're allowing the Heat to. I understand Jimmy's going to make tough shots, but you got to get those other guys under control. You know, Duncan can't have 15. Uh, Martin can't have. Martin had 20, what, 4, 25? 25. Yeah, he can't, he can't do that. You got to keep those guys. Some of those were wide open. Yeah, and that's the problem. Like, they're getting wide open looks. So I think the defense has to be better. Now, that's not, that has nothing to do with coaching. It has everything to do with effort. So I think they'll bring that, uh, which is why I'm on them um, in this specific spot. I get it. I'm just tired of trying to predict what kind of effort I'm going to get from the Celtics. Yeah, and I don't blame you. I mean, I don't blame anybody for bidding Miami. I, I really don't. Yeah, this is probably going to be one of those games that I don't have that much money on. Right. Maybe it's because the Lakers killed me yesterday. Uh, but no, just in general, it's really a difficult game to break down because on one hand, you're looking at the heat and it looks obvious. But if I told you Boston gave good effort for once, for 45 minutes, they probably cover. So yeah, I think mean, that's why yeah. it's pretty tricky to break down. But I'll ask you about the total. I'm going to lean to the under. I, I think that game uh, two was pretty fortunate to go over. You had 58 points in the fourth quarter. You had some free throws at the end, which also helped push it over. But that landed 216. Miami's defense has been fine. Uh, it's gotten better as the series has gone on. Boston's defense hasn't exactly been great. But yeah, the pace yeah. was really slow. And neither team could really shoot that well from three in game two. Boston shot 28.6%, and Miami shot 34.6%. But in a must-win game for Boston, I can see some intensity being brought on that end, at least compared to what we've seen in the first two games. Yeah. I'm going to lean to the under. Yeah, and I agree with you. Uh, if if you like Miami, you got to like the under. If you like Boston, you got to like the over. I think that's pretty much correlated, so I like the over. I don't disagree with anything you, you're I saying. I, I don't know if I agree with that, because I feel like Boston defensively, if they're going to win, maybe they just lock down. Well, I think that if in order for, well, I don't disagree with the the logic behind defensive effort, but I think offensively, if they want to, you know, have success, they have to get out and run and they have to be in transition yeah. to be able to do that. Now, you know, four of the last five meetings have went over, including the first two of this series. And, you know, the only game that didn't go over and only missed by a point and a half. And I think it was exactly uh, this total, 213 and a half, 214 ish. Uh, so Boston's averaging 117 points per game on the road versus 113 points per game at home. Now, obviously, you got a bigger sample size at home than you do on the road because they're, you know, they've had more home games than than not. And I think Miami's second unit is, you know, they're coming in, they're giving them a lot of of good minutes as we went over. And now at home, where you know guys like Love, Lowry, um, we mentioned Vincent, some of those guys are probably going to shoot the ball a little bit better than what they have uh, in Boston. So I'm banking on that. I mean. Boston's defense can still be good, 
and Miami can have success. So I'm thinking that it's along those lines. So if we can get to, you know, one, if we can get both of these to 110, I mean, that's not really, you know, that's not really hard to do. Even in Boston, if if they get to 117, I mean, you only need what, like 100 from from Miami. I don't think that's out of the, not saying that they're going to blow them out, but you know, you you get what I'm saying, like, as far as it's the point differential. So, yeah, I think that, I think that's going to go over. I think both teams' offenses specifically will have success. Now, Boston's defense, like I said, it can be better, and Miami can still have success. So I think it'll go over here. But I don't disagree. Which I don't disagree with your premise as far as the, you know, the defensive effort and intensity being there for Boston. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, but Tony's mentioning uh, that there's money on the over, uh, yet the totals dropped. So there is a bit of reverse line movement there. Keep an eye on it. You might see a decent amount of money coming in on the over potentially before the game, so we'll see. There have been some late total moves that I've noticed over the NBA playoffs, so keep an eye on it, and we'll see how that line moves. But as of right now, I'll lean to the under. But anything else you want to add, or should we move into player props? Oh, no, we can get into the props. It's cool. All right. Uh, So starting off with the player props, I'll go first on my favorite one. I got Jason Tatum, over 9.5 rebounds at minus 125. Simply put, he's been really good at rebounding. And with them playing Horford a bunch and Horford constantly getting either picked on and pick and roll or Rob Williams, you've had Tatum by default being in the paint to get rebounds. He had 13 last game. He's done very well rebounding this entire playoffs. And I believe he's had at least 11 rebounds in four of his last five games against Miami. So I do like the over nine and a half. Tatum, once again, has played 40 plus minutes all the time. And you might argue that he needs more minutes. In, in basically an elimination game because nobody's ever come back from three nothing. Right. Tatum played forty two minutes in game two. Are you just penciling him in for like forty five? Yeah, I mean, I think if he has to, I think Missoula has to get away from Horford. So I think less Horford, more Tatum at the five. If you have him at the five with Brogdon, Smart, um, Brown, and uh, White, you got more yeah. shooters on the floor, more spacing, better defenders, on ball defenders. You can argue even Williams included, but the point is there's. Williams will be dragged away from the paint anyway. So, right. should so be it's a higher ceiling for him to get that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, with you. I'm with you. Yeah, so that's my favorite prop. I was surprised that it was at 9.5 because he had 13 last game. But that's my favorite overall prop. It's Tatum rebounds. You can roast them all you want for the late game execution. That's not my problem. Just make sure you grab <laughs> the ball in the missed shots. So I'm going to take that approach. Uh, besides that, I'm also leaning to Lowry under for points. It is low. It's at 9.5. And, and I know that he was still very good in game one. But Lowry has been very solid when he has multiple days off because he's older and he could use the extra rest. In one day off games, like with a one uh, rest day in between, he really has not looked sharp. And once again, he only played like 17 minutes in game two because Spolstra looked at him and said, you can't play today. Like You just don't have it. And I think Vincent might be in line for a good game. Robinson had some good minutes, especially with with off-ball action because Boston kept losing track of him on all these off-ball movement stuff. But I think Lowry could be limited uh, for actual minutes. Maybe Kevin Love, I know his number's at five and a half, which is a bit annoying because that's only two three-pointers. But it feels like Love has not even been close to hitting the rim in the series. Uh, He was okay in game one, I guess. He hit that transition three-pointer in the third quarter, I believe. But after that, he hasn't really done much. Uh, It's mostly just fading some of those older veteran guys on Miami's bench because it does feel like Miami has been catering more towards the younger role players as they should because Caleb Martin's been that good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm agreeing with that. And I think that like 
Spo does a good job of just like knowing when guys just don't have I think I yeah. know it's like I know it's like small things. It's and obvious, sometimes but it's a lot harder than you think. Right, right. And I think sometimes we give coaches a lot more credit than what's deserved for like small, simple things that even, you know, guys like us can can look and see and we're not we don't know as much basketball as any of these coaches. So but I think just knowing when your guys have it and don't have it and who to play, when to play, I think that's like a big part of being a, a good coach and Spo does a good job of that. Yeah, and I think that's something Missoula can work on. But yeah. still, those are kind of some of the props I was considering. If you want to go for Boston, uh, th- there's a no chance I go near any Jalen Brown prop besides maybe turnovers. Oh, maybe, I can, maybe, I can, yeah, maybe I can convince you. I, I, got him, I got him over 23 and a half. You do? You think he actually shows up today? Yeah, I do. I think he, I think he does uh, show up today. Um, so he's been struggling in the series, no surprise. I mean, the Heat are able to, you know, keep him guessing with switching the defenders. He's seeing like four defenders every like game. So like he's seeing Vincent, he's seeing Martin, he's seeing uh, Butler, uh, Struess. So I think that's taking a toll on him. So I think he has got some things to figure out, and I think he'll get that done here. So he's taking forty-four shots and only has thirty-eight points. So averaging about 19 per game on 38% shooting and 15% from deep. And a lot of that, he's been open. Like he's been just been missing a, a lot of those threes. Now I don't know if that has to do with his hand or or what the, what the deal is, but he's getting good looks. He's just missing. So I think if the Celtics, you know, if they want to, you know, even a series up in which it starts today, he has to be a whole lot better and help out on the offensive end. So um, on the road in the playoffs, he's over this number only twice, but he's landed 23 in two other games. So, He's right there, and he's you know shot the ball well on the road, and I think he gets some shots to fall tonight. Uh, so I would expect a heavy dose of of Jalen today early on, and then that maybe preserves Tatum um, to you know put it on down the stretch. So I think that's part of the game plan to get Jalen going early and have um, Jason you know finish him off per se. Yeah, I see Aiden asking about Brogdon, and I was going to segue into Boston supporting cast. Yeah, I feel like I'm very tempted by Derek White threes. He came out firing in game two. I thought he gave them some good minutes. Brogdon, I think, could. I think Brogdon's been okay. I mean, I think he could have been a little bit better, but then again, uh, nobody on Boston supporting cast has had insane games, but Brogdon did have 13 and four last game on four of nine shooting. Only went one of five from three, though. Yeah. He got to the line four times. I don't mind Brogdon. I think Derek White. Could potentially get more minutes. I thought he looked really sharp in those 23 minutes he played in game two. Mm -hmm. I'd probably go to him. He went three of five from three. But if you think that Horford's going to play less and you're trying to think that Boston maybe goes smaller, I'm not saying they're going to put Tatum at the five, but maybe they experiment and try it for a couple of minutes. I think Derek White might get more playing time. He was good last game. Yeah, he was. He was. He's been shooting the ball well. Um, defensively, I think he has to be better, just like the rest of those guys. I mean, all second team defense, and he got to be able to slow somebody down. I mean, it, I mean, obviously Jalen. I'm not Jalen, but uh, Jimmy's going to do what he has to do. But you got to at least make it hard for him. And I think they've been under, they've been underperforming on the defensive end with some of those other guys. So I think Brodin will be on the floor more. Him smart. Like I, th- I think that lineup of Tatum, Smart, Brown. Brogdon and White. I think that'll be a critical lineup, and I think they'll finish with that because it's a lot of spacing. It's a lot of shooting. Uh, as you mentioned, you like Tatum rebounds. I think he's more than capable of grabbing, you know, 12 to 13 rebounds. They got to get Al Horford and, and Rob Williams off the floor in the crunch time because as good as, well, as good as Rob is defensively, I mean, he, you just can't have a non-scorer out there um, when – the heat goes small and they're able to, you know, be able to switch everything and 
off that pick and roll. They got shooters in the corners and in different spots. So I think that you're right with with Brogdon um, being able to to score more and, and White also. So I think those role players have a good game. Yeah, I'd probably lean to those two. Smart, I'm not sure about. Yeah, we'll see. I like Smart too. I'll see if I can convince you on him. I was going to say, no, I'm saying yeah. I, I'm not sure if I can go to the window with Smart, Brogdon, and White. Oh, so yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll get you. I'll get you. I'll that's get you. why I'm, I guess I kind of dislike Smart's props the most of those three, but you can really, you know, you can make a case for Smart. But yeah. I think that's kind of going to wrap it up for the props that I have. You have anything else that you are tempted by? I'm considering maybe a Duncan Robinson under. Because I think his numbers might be inflated after scoring 15 last game. What he is it? 15, uh, let me pull that up quickly. She's got like 15 six, points in 21 minutes. It should be like six and a half, seven, I'm assuming. I think it's going to be higher. That's my point. It was six and a half in game one. He scored zero. And yeah, he scored 15. Yeah. So if it's anything that involves him not hitting three three-pointers, I'll take it. Yeah, that's fair. Because I do think that Boston, whenever Robinson's on the court, you should just go at him. Yeah. Offensively, because we know yeah. that Robinson can't guard anybody. But they really did a bad job keeping track of him. He's one of the guys you kind of have to keep track of. And I do think as a result, you might find a pretty nice spot to potentially fade Robinson. Except he's at five and a half again, so I can't do it. The magic number was six and a half. I didn't even get six and a half. So I can't even fade Robinson, which is very unfortunate. Do you want to make a case for maybe Robert Williams over seven and a half? I mean, I kind of do, but I can see it going either way because we mentioned about them not going to him later in, late in game. So he has to get it early. Like if he doesn't get yep. it within the first, you know, that first set where he's uh, on the floor with those starters and then coming off in the second half, because in the second half, he didn't start the game. Um, they started Derek White over him. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of iffy on going with, with Robert Williams. I might go with his like points and rebounds. Uh, thinking that you mentioned he only had three rebounds, so I think he'll be more active on the boards. And I mentioned early on that Miami's been killing them on the offensive rebound um, rate, uh, rebounding 32% of the misses. So I think maybe points and rebounds is, is a go versus just points overall. Do you want to blindly go back to BAM rebounds? You know what? I, I'm a BAM guy. Uh, you, I think I've made that known. I don't specifically like, or particularly like him in this game. I don't know why. I don't really have any. Well, because you're so good at game two, you're, you're assuming Boston's <laughs> going to game plan him out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm thinking. I'm thinking that they have like I'm thinking that small lineup really. If if Missoula goes to it, I'm thinking that it really like hurts Bam because he'll have to be able to guard more because they'll probably put him in pick and roll if he's the only big on the floor. So I think he'll pretty much put that much energy on a defensive end, so he might not be able to be to the rim. Similar to what you said about. Um, Rob Williams rebounds. He was being away from the rim. I think he'll be Bam will be away from the rim a lot more than what he was in the first two games. Yeah, I was kind of just wondering because if Boston does go smaller in theory, that could help or hurt Bam for rebounding because he'll be pulled away from the basket, but he has right. less size to deal with on the interior. That's kind of why right. I was wondering. But do you have any other props you want to mention or should we just move on? Um, I got one, but it's, it's my lock, so I'll just save it for that. Okay, cool. So we're not going to spoil your favorite play, so to speak. By the way, Reggie, I see Jimmy Butler over half a three. It's at like minus 185. So sure, like I don't mind it, but it's 185, so I'm not going to give that out. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? I I would just try to find a one. If you find a one, I'm pretty sure it's less juice. I'm trying to think if you can even find like whole number props. I think DraftKings. I've seen a whole number prop in a while. I think DraftKings had, well, you can go one plus. Or does they have to That's be in the same, same thing game as probably? a half? Because one counts as a win. Well, I guess. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, well, I, I know I'm right. 
but yeah, so I'd consider the over there, of course. But once again, it's minus one eighty-five, so I'm not going to make a strong argument for or against it. But You've been shooting a lot more. I was going to say, if you want to throw it in a parlay, then have fun. But I'm not going to straight yeah, bet it at minus one eighty-five. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you have anything else, or should we just uh, wrap it up? No, no, we can wrap it up. Cool. So that's going to do it for the actual preview for Game Three. Now it's time for the lock and dog picks, but. Before I actually do that, I want to talk about Shady Rays. Shady Rays is teaming up with SGPN for Shady May. Not only do you get an amazing 50% off deal, but you also have a chance to win $500. Shady Rays has durable frames and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. That's not all. They also offer the most insane protection all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. If you lose or break your pair, even on the first day, they told us they'll send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. Wear your shader is with confidence because they have your back long after purchase. If you don't love them, you can return them in exchange or exchange them for a new pair, and you have up to 30 days to return them for free. No risk when you shop with Shady Rays. They always have your back. And for international listeners, Shady Rays has you covered with shipping to Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and the UK. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the code SGPN for 50% off two pairs of Polar sunglasses. Then take your receipt to SportsCampPockets.com slash Shady for your chance to win the $500 Shady May contest. Welcome back, everyone, to the NBA Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing Game 3 of the Eastern Conference Finals between the Celtics and the Heat. Now it's time for the lock and dog picks. Delonte, I'm going to let you go first. What is your lock for the show? All right, so with the lock, I'm going to go with a player prop. I'm going with probably my favorite one. Um, that It's been a while since I've had a, a, a one that I like this big. But I like Smart over 18.5 points and assists. So he struggled in game two. So I'm not sure if that has to do with the injury or his you know unwillingness to shoot the ball. Uh, he, I like, never thought I'd have to tell Marcus Smart to not to shoot the ball more, you know. <laughs> right, but if you've watched, like he's passed up several like open looks, and he's only averaging about six field goal attempts um, in the series. And that's despite his poor play in game two, he's still averaging seventeen um, points and assists um, in the series, and that's that's with him being less aggressive offensively. So I think on the road he's been incredible. Well, I know for a fact on the road he's been incredible, going over this number uh, five of the six games that they've had on the road, and he landed eighteen. Uh, in the other game. So in those six row games, he's averaging 26.1 points and assists. So I think he has a great floor game similar to what we had or similar to what he had in game one. And I think he has to, I think he has to be able to distribute that takes off some of the load for Tatum and Brown as far as creating for themselves. So I think he has about a, you know, a 17 and seven type game. He could have 18 and and 10. So I'm looking forward to Marcus Smart having a big, big game Um, for the dog. I'm going to go with Jalen Brown, 30-plus points at plus 240. Um, I, I mentioned it earlier about Jalen Brown, so I won't go into it. But I think he has a good game. I think they go to him early and often, and uh, they let Tatum finish him off at the end. All right. Uh, so for my lock, I mentioned it before. It was my favorite player prop. I'm taking Tatum over 9.5 rebounds. The number just feels too short, simply put. Uh, no matter how often he struggles with shooting in the fourth quarter, his rebounding numbers are still solid at 13 last game. He's had at least 11 and four of his last five games against Miami. We also think that maybe you see less Horford and Rob Williams, so you might see Tatum have to rebound more. And Boston did get out-rebounded by 10 in game two, so I can see a more concerted effort on the actual glass by Boston. And in turn, I think that's going to imply Tatum getting more boards. So give me the over nine and a half for Tatum rebounds at minus 125 as my lock. And for my dog, what do I want to do with this one? Uh, Because I was tempted by maybe Bam double-double, but unfortunately it's not plus price, so I can't do it. Uh, I can't take... I don't know if I want to take Bam block or not, because I don't think he's had one in the series. A couple of options here. 
I'm trying to think of what I want to go about for this one. Um, I'm trying to get creative with this one. Yeah, Sorry. no, that's what, that's what I was trying to do, but I just ran out of time. I was like, I like Jalen today, so I'm just going to go with a 30 plus. You know what? All right, cool. I'm going to go for a double Tatum prop here. I'm going to go with Tatum to be the leading three-point maker today at plus 250. The volume's been there, and I do think based on that, he should have a good opportunity. Tatum only made three threes last game, but he attempted 10. Jalen Brown attempted seven. Martin attempted seven. So Tatum had three more attempts than anybody else on the court, and I feel like for these type of props, it's all about volume anyway. And we know Tatum's going to have the ball in his hands all the time. So I do think that Tatum three points or to lead the game in three pointers makes sense based on the volume he's getting. Now he could be shooting better. Maybe Tatum goes nuts. I know he only attempted three threes in game one, which is a little bit bizarre, but I do think that the props for Tatum for assists are a bit iffy because he had eight in game two and he had one in game one, but I'm going to go with the volume and hopefully he makes a couple. Give me Tatum to lead the game in three pointers at plus 250. Yeah. I like that a lot actually. But I, I like the price for that. That feels a little bit because like the second lowest odds are Struce. It's not even yeah, Martin, right? And Struce is not. I mean, those Miami Heat guys—they're not going to just be high volume shooters because the ball's going to be in Jimmy's hands. For the and they have part, so many so. guys on Miami that are just going to alternate for role players. Right, so but, they they could attempt only like four or five each. Yeah. Yeah. So like if Tatum if Tatum hits four of them, you might be good. Yeah. I think, so, he, I think he's in line to hit four, four or five. Yeah. Well, if he attempts 10 again, I hope he hits four. But that's going <laughs> to yeah. wrap it up uh, for the lock and dog picks. Uh, so Delonte, once again, he ended up having for his lock, he's a Marcus Smart fan for this game. And for his dog, he thinks that Jalen Brown is going to show up for once. And yep. I have double Tatum props. If Tatum lays an egg, I'm screwed. So we'll see what happens. But <laughs> that's going to wrap it up for this episode. We'll back once again tomorrow in some form or another. Uh, Delonte, let people know know where they could find you. At XX Delonte XX on Twitter. Uh, yeah, I'm there talking a lot of basketball, a lot of uh, a lot of game analysis. So yeah, man, I can be found there, and uh, probably have an article or something coming out this week, uh, like a best best article or something. To look forward to so. Uh, as for me, you can find me on Twitter at Racial Radio. You can find me on the NBA show, obviously, the WNBA show. I know some people have been waiting for the WNBA episodes. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about that. Yeah, unfortunately for us, we were supposed to do a couple episodes this weekend, but the books take about three years to post lines, which is extremely annoying because there are no back-to-backs at the moment. So you can just post the lines immediately, but they just won't do it. So we keep trying to do episodes at like 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock realistically, we're probably going to have to start doing it in the early morning because we can't keep waiting for no lines to be out. It's just extremely frustrating. So the plan moving forward will probably involve morning WNBA episodes. So keep an eye out for those. Besides that, I I got the tennis podcast, which is going to be churning out episodes. You got the French Open in about a week, which should be fun. But that's going to, other than that, though, you know where to find me. But that's going to wrap it up. Until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba-ba!